Picture the world of Ho Lai, Reb Brown, and so many heroes named Steve. 80s Action Movies on the Cheap is filled with insightful reviews about the films made during the decade that gave us big hair, shoulder pads, and yuppies. This book is an excellent guide through the action movies that didn't quite make blockbuster status, or in some cases, any status at all. Written with wit, good humor, a definite fondness, and minimal spoilers, this book is a must-have for film lovers. 80s Action Movies on the Cheap by Daniel R. Budnick is available now at Amazon and McFarland Books. A book everyone should own. Hey everyone, it's Dan. I'm the author of that book. And also co-author of the Bleeding Skull 1980s book and a, a novel on Amazon. Uh, you can get on your Kindle called Arthur Bertrand and Constance. It's a kid's book. It's fun. I also do this podcast and several others and other things and other things. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I just felt like playing that. It's episode 70 of Eventually Super Train, everyone. How are you? It's Dan. Welcome. We are, well, we're wrapping up another show today. This is like the 13th or 14th show we wrapped up. Still at the very beginning-ish of another one, and kind of about halfway through, third. So we are beginning this episode. Yes, Amanda is back. Hooray, Amanda Reyes is in the house. We're talking Masquerade from December 83, episode two of Masquerade. I believe it's called Diamonds, I believe. Well, you'll find out in a few moments. And then Amy the Conqueror and myself discuss episode nine of Erie, Indiana. And then... Say goodbye to Gore Blimey, everyone. Episode 6, the final episode of Man to Man with Dean Lerner, gets discussed at the end. Sigh. So we'll start with the Man in Masquerade, Amy and Erie, Gore, and Dean. Gore and Dean, they were my favorites. Apart from the Beach Boys, they were my favorites from the 60s. Let's dive right in, folks. Enjoy. Masquerade. I'm not going to sing every time we do this, but I'm going to sing the first few times. That was Crystal Gale singing the theme from Masquerade. I think Glenn A. Larson always, he wrote several of the themes, I think, for his his shows. And and I, I think he always said, you got to have a good theme, you got to have a good opening credit sequence. And Masquerade has a hell of an opening credit sequence. And we are on the second episode that aired, the first regular uh, length episode, hour long. December 22nd, 1983. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Diamonds, written by William Reed Woodfield, which is one of my favorite names ever to read. I, we've encountered William Reed often, I think, or it's just a name that sits in my mind. Directed by Peter Crane, and I have with me here the wonderful, the the ever-present, the TV movie Maven. No, is that that's not right. The TV movie she she's awesome it's amanda reyes how you doing amanda i'm good how are you i'm doing okay i i am after our very lengthy discussion of the pilot i'm gonna try to keep this one on some sort of track if i can keep it a little keep it a little um tighter um uh but if i i'm, I'm gonna do it we're gonna do it i think i think um so what i'm gonna do if you don't mind i'm gonna dive into the plot you shout out whenever you want to shout out, and then we'll just discuss what we thought of the episode. Uh, you got it. Think of the, all right. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up before I, I dive in? No, I feel like we kind of did some deep diving in the first episode in terms of, like, what it was representing culturally. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know if we mentioned that, like, at the time, Reagan was apparently, like, closing down sort of our uh, access to information about what the government was doing, sort of some secrecy, probably uh, Cold War related. And so this show and shows like Scarecrow, Mrs. King, and maybe Cover Up, which we mentioned last episode, were about sort of like the everyman, if you want to call John Eric Hexham the everyman, but, like, um, breaking into, like, um, the government and sort of helping them out and being a part of the system in a positive way and having access to kind of the information that we were being denied. So that's what makes the show interesting in terms of where it sits in the time and space that it was made. But it's also just a complete like balls out adventure show where it's really it's about glamorous locations and famous people and fur coats. And, you know, in this episode in particular, diamonds. Yeah, oh, yes, lots of this is yeah, obviously diamonds heavy. So this episode begins with uh, a courier uh, being put on a plane in McBain, Virginia, uh, by uh, Mr. Lavender, uh, and he's got you know the the handcuffed the the courier um, of death kind of uh, briefcase thing, and he goes on this small plane, and this guy with his great beard sneaks on board, kills him, takes the briefcase, jumps off the plane blows up the plane and he as as and this is why this guy is a great um bad guy because as this guy with the beard is actually parachuting to the ground he takes the time to peel off his fake beard and his you know everything and it's david hemmings oh it's right it's so exciting and it's it's oh my gosh and he's playing marlos i believe that's right um marlos yeah, Marlos. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be Marlo, but then instead of the W E, it's an S. Yeah, and they and and Lavender knows him because he does a lot of disguises and he does a lot of jerk work for bad guys. And right now he has stolen that briefcase was filled with the NATO missile code frequencies or some I don't know. They kept their they they kind of went on and on, but basically there are t- all the NATO missile sites, nuclear missile sites. Each one has a specific code, a specific frequency. He has stolen all the codes and frequencies, and he's going to go to Amsterdam to sell them to the East Germans for a million dollars in diamonds. Get this down, folks. A million dollars in diamonds. That's it? Uh, and, yeah. Uh, I feel like it's a little Austin Powersy right here. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's uh, right. <laughs> um, and, and, um, uh, but a million dollars – you think you'd do better. A million dollars in diamonds and um, – uh, and uh, so, so the East Germans will now be able to block if the NATO needs to release a nuclear missile, they can block them with codes. So Lavender and um, uh, Kirstie Alley's character, whose name I just forgot, but I think is Casey, um, and Greg Evans' character, whose name is Danny. I remember that specifically because my mom calls me Danny. She's the only person who calls me Danny. Don't you call me Danny. You could call me uh, Danny Amanda, but I'm saying this to listen. That's because you're afraid of me. I am afraid. <laughs> gee, good gravy. Um, uh, and so they, they recruit the folks. And who do they recruit? They recruit Morgan Brittany, who is she? Uh, well, what she does for a living is she's an heiress. <laughs> what a great uh, job. Which, what a great – I mean, I, it's nice – you know, it's like there's so many people in America who work so hard and can barely make ends meet. It's nice to have someone who never had to work a day in their lives and can make their ends meet better than 98% of America. And it's Morgan Brittany, so I guess we let it, that ride. Uh, but they call in Morgan Brittany because she has a lot of diamonds. Uh, they call in – oh, I feel like I'm going to forget someone here. They call in um, Dick uh, – 
Go, is it Gautier? Yeah, Gautier? I think that's how you say it. As uh, I, uh, I forget. Uh, As my, Al, my notes Al are... Carger. Okay, is is that is it is it? He's basically he's it's a Al. diamond guy. Is it Al? He's a, he, yeah, he's a diamond expert. And then they call in. Um, uh, I don't have everything written down as well as I did for the last one. They call in um, uh, a guy who designs vaults, and um, he. I guess he's broken into vaults or something like that. They need him to get. Oh into yeah, I love that actor, and I can't remember his name. A vault. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they call in a young man uh, named uh, Tim. Timmy. Tim Jeffy. And I. I oh, yes, oh, and I, Norman Web- Weber. I think is the guy. Okay, is the vault guy? Yeah, played by Rick Lenz, yeah. the great Rick. Okay, Lenz, yes. the great Rick Lenz guy. The great Rick Lenz, yes. And uh, they call in a guy named Timmy who's like working for NASA, and he's he's created a satellite sensor, which is basically something you, I guess, they put in the satellite, and it can sense things? give you. Yes, it, it can give you in-depth um, coverage of everything in the area. And then the last person they call in, I believe, the last person they call in is Eve Arden. Because she was Armis Brooks, and she they want her to teach the East Germans. I mean, no, I'm kidding. Um, I do like Armis Brooks, though. But they call in Evar, and she plays Miss uh, Mrs. Woodman. This is ridiculous, is like, by the way. Who is the ultimate um, dog trainer? Ultimate. Ultimate. So what happens is, <laughs> so guys, arrive, listen, they, listen closely. So all right, they arrive in Amsterdam, and the plan is this. Morgan Brittany and Greg Evigan go to the Diamond Exchange. The Diamond Exchange is where the million dollars worth of diamonds that um, uh, Marlos wants. And they go there and they, they put the satellite sensor in this um, uh, uh, box with the diamonds that Morgan Brittany is handing over to them. They put the box into their vault and it sits there overnight. Oh, well, it sits there. Actually, they, they do the stuff in the middle of the night. Um, but it sits there, and they use the satellite sensor to gauge uh, the layout of the vault and the whole area around the vault so they can break in. Dick Gautier's character is sent to uh, examine all the diamonds they have, one by one, because he's a diamond expert, and then buy enough, uh, like, cubic zirconia to replace the diamonds. And then... I'm going to forget somebody. I know I am. They go to a hotel right across the street from the Diamond Exchange that night. They have two dogs on the roof. Speaking to them in Dutch, I believe, <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Woodman keeps them under control. They ride some kind of fun... Achtung! Achtung! Close enough. I don't know. She enough. says something, and they, they do she, exactly she's... what she says. Yeah, it's it's great because she's like, they, those are mean dogs, but I can keep them under control. And she's just like, stumpfen, stumpfen, and, and they sit down. And they're like, I need them to go around the corner. Go around the corner. Shavantosos. And they go around the corner. <laughs> yeah, even, you know, like, she's not fantastic. even motioning with her hands. She's just saying something like in another language that they would understand. And uh, that's not even dog language. And all I can think of is best in show when Fred Willard says to the guy he's doing the commentary with on the dog show, like Chinese dogs and Italian dogs, do they speak the same language? You know, if you say something to a Chinese dog, an Italian or American, do they understand what you're saying? And apparently you need to speak to them in the specific language. Yeah, this 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 is science working here, guys. This is science. <laughs> and so... I'm sure I missed out on a car chase or two, folks. I'm, I'm trying to keep this more Oh, yeah, he does some farm. stuff, this guy, this uh, Marlos guy. Marlos. He's wreaking he havoc all over fucking yeah, Amsterdam. Well, 
uh, the great thing about Marlos is that whatever, however he disguises himself, he and and Lavender says this. That's Marlos. I'd recognize him anywhere. And I say that that's David Hemmings. I, I'd recognize him anywhere. You know, it's true. It's true because when he's going down on the parachute, David Hemmings has these really haunted eyes that I love. Yes. And yes. they're un- they're undeniable. Nobody else has them. And so, like, when you see them, you're just like, oh, guys, it's David Hemmings. Yes, because f- when you first see him in that scene, he's at a distance, like pretending to be a mechanic, and you're like, "Okay, that's my uncle Dave. I, under- <laughs> I know who that is." But then the moment you see him and, and he kind of passes by, it's not quite like Top Secret that scene where they parachute out of the plane and they all like have long conversations where they float up to one another on the parachutes, and then there's like a fireplace kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's almost like that where he kind of comes down and you look at him, and you go, and I looked at him, and I was like. Is that David Hemmings? I love Blow Up and Deep Red is one of my favorite yeah. films. So, so I'm so I'm all on it there. Um, but yeah, whenever he, whether he's a goofy tourist, whether he's like an old man getting like a safety deposit box kind oh, of thing, Hasidic whether Jew. he, <laughs> whether he's a, he's the one who's Hasidic Jew. He like he looks like when Woody Allen became a Hasidic Jew. What film was that? Was that like Bananas or something? Oh my god, probably yeah. Or Take the Money and Run. I forget. There's one where he like he thinks he's a Hasidic Jew. He looks almost exactly like that, and you're like, that's David Hemmings well, dressed. Well, it's Hasidic so Jew. funny because he goes. In, and I know we're jumping ahead, but he goes in as a Hasidic Jew, and his part, and some guy that's waiting for him goes, "That's a brilliant disguise." And you're like, no, it's not because he stands out like a sore thumb. A brilliant disguise is like a businessman with no makeup on. Like, okay, you know what a brilliant disguise is? When David Bowie did the Elephant Man without makeup. Yes. Yeah, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Him with curly cues, and that's horrible. I don't mean to denounce the, but you know, like the hair on the sides that are like the little curly cues and like the outfit. That's not a brilliant disguise. No, and, and his his beard is they, they show several Hasidic Jews earlier on who have the, the dark their beards are dark. And his beard I think is I want to say is like grayer and longer. It's almost like he's ZZ top or I something. I feel like you know? I feel like, like I offended any Hasidic Jews that might be listening. I, I, I think I think um I th- I think if we're discussing like a blackmailing assassin kind of guy, um, who is a masquerade masquerade as an as an Hasidic Jew, I don't think I don't think we are because I think they will give us the um, benefit of the doubt. Okay, yeah, he looks stupid. Um, yeah, he looks goofy when he does. It's like really that's because they like um, the first time you see Degotier, he he is that how his name is? Yeah, pronounced? I think so. That's I way. think so. Okay, you you see him and he's with several Hasidic Jews and they're coming out of the vault with diamonds and I don't I don't you know I I. Okay, but that's a stereotype right uh, there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah oh my god, yeah. this show is so offensive. Oh my god, and he like slaps him on the back and he's like he says something and he says like Mazel. I think, uh, I think, and he like slaps him on the back, and I think, don't slap him on the back. You don't do that. These are very religious men. You don't slap but, very, you know. I never slapped one of my priests uh, when oh. I was in Catholic school on the back. I was like, there you go, Father. Have a good. But you know who Marlos reminds me of? Who? B A on the A team. Not B A. Is it B A? Who's the, no no Hannibal? I'm sorry. I've Hannibal. Hannibal. Yeah. I've only seen, the, I've only seen one episode of the A Team the whole way through. I think so. Forgive me. Um, not be it. He doesn't three, remind me of Mr. So. T. He doesn't remind me of Mr. T. He reminds me of George Rapard's character because George Rapard, they were like he's a master of disguise, but half of his disguises were like him dressed up like a lizard on a film set. And you're like, well, of course that's a great disguise because he's covered in rubber from head to toe. Nobody can see who he is. Or he's doing something like ridiculous where it's obviously it's George Rapard. Yeah. But like. 
it's brilliant. And it's, yeah. oh my God. So anyway, Marlos is on par with Hannibal. And I do love it because the, um, yeah, the KGB or the East German guys never recognize him. And one of them is played by the actor who was the head Russian bad guy, a communist bad guy in the James Bond films from the late se- Spy Who Loved Me to License to Kill. And in 1983, he was an octopussy. He's not, he's not a main Oh, feature, they're watching uh, Octopussy and, um... There's a part where they go by a theater and Octopussy is playing. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, I'm pretty yeah. sure this they, was the, this was the episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, because he's the great... That's a great... Like, in the 60s, it was Spectre. In the 70s, it was generally, like, just crazy guys wanting to destroy the world. And then the 80s, James Bond was communists. And he's the head communist who never really seems like a bad guy as far as... He's a communist. Go. He's not a killer. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's just he's trying to do a... his thing... Yeah, 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 and he's well. He he's. I think we first see him in Spy Who Loved Me, I believe, sending um Barbara Bach after, um whatever it is they did in Spy Who Loved Me. I remember they go underwater and Jaws is there, right? Ooh. I think. I don't know. I get. I hate to say that. I get them all mixed up. I get them all mixed up, but then like once a year, I watch them all in order, and for about three months, they're all in my head perfectly. And then they leave. Yeah. You know, I have a friend that marathons them and he, I don't know if he does it anymore, but he would stay up till he watched them all. Like he would do like a three day marathon where he just watched every single episode day and night, day and night, day and night. Yeah. I, I, I can do about two or three a week. Um, I can't do, if I do two in a row, I get halfway through the second one. Even if it's one I love, like a For Your Eyes Only or a Goldfinger or a, a Skyfall, I, 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 I start to lose the, I think those are plotted in a more strange fashion than Masquerades. Yeah, I think they can be. They're really fun and I like them. Yeah. And my mom is a huge James Bond fan, so I've seen a lot of them. That's... But yeah, like I've seen a lot of them like once or twice, so it's hard for me to like, oh, this one's in Vegas. You know, that one I kind of remember. Diamonds yeah, Are Forever. Yeah, Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, yeah because I was lived in Vegas, right? Forever. So like yeah, I would yeah. remember that one. But in general, like it, they all kind of get mixed up. Yeah, yeah, and they're, and I always try to, whenever I watch them, I always say to myself, I'm going to pay attention to the plot, and I'm going to know what's going on, but three quarters of them, like, I get halfway through and go, why is he here? Yeah, I do too. What's going, and it's just, you need, a, like, a spreadsheet or a flow chart or something, but I will say this, Diamonds Are Forever is one of my favorite car chases, the scene in the parking lot, mm-hmm. where, where, where the cops are chasing, and they keep going around in circles, and he will like go to the back of the parking lot, and the camera will just sit at the front, and you think he's going to crash into cars, but there's a space that he goes through that the cops can't make it through, and they do that like three times, and it's so, it's so very silent film. Kind of it's, fun. It's also authentic Vegas because there's this really great scene with Sean Connery walking through the casino and he's in a tuxedo mm. and everybody's in like leisure suits. Because like nobody in Vegas <laughs> gets dressed up. Monte Carlo, they get dressed up. In Vegas, mm. they're just wearing whatever they showed up in that day. And like, yes. and so it was great because they, it looks like they shot it like with just real people. And like, mm. and he's just making his way through because, you know, looking all like fucking James Bond, you know? And then yes. and then they got this woman in, like, way too tight polyester pants with, like, her little fucking wicker purse and, like, you know what I mean? And it's just, it's like, yeah. wow, that is Vegas. Yeah. They really captured that's, it. Yeah. It's, that, that's one of those movies that, it's not one of my favorites, but I love the Vegas stuff in that. So good. Some great, great scenes there, yeah. Um, so, where were we? So, oh, so, yeah. So, so somebody it, did something and then they did something and then some, they treated Jews horribly in this. Yeah, they did. And so, yeah, it's just basically, yeah, they have to, um, they have to break into the vault, 
as Mrs. Woodman is controlling the dogs, and they have to break in the vault and replace all the real diamonds with this uh, cubic but, but Norman, even though there's Norman. no precursor to this, has asthma, and he only gets asthma when he's breaking into vaults. So he doesn't have his inhaler on him because he's not used to going to break into vaults. Yes, and that's a very strange scene because they keep, they're like, the guards are making their pass through, you only have 27 minutes. Okay, let's do this. <coughs> okay, let's break through this. <coughs> yeah. uh, okay, we're going to break through this. Uh, Norman, what the F? Oh, I, I, I get asthma when I break into vaults. Norman, what the F? I... What the F? That sounds like a little rap song. What? Norman, what the F? What the F? What the F? What, what, what the F? <laughs> okay. Um, and, and so, so what happens is they, and and this seemed like it took so long to get them from the hotel on this little wire thing. Like you know, it's just they sit down and they swoop across. Yeah, yeah it's cool. It's like the, they're oh, what's that building. called? Um, they do it now in caves. It's not. Oh, I don't know what they you do. You know, it's, I, I it's, famous. it's famous. It's uh, famous. It's like a wire that takes you from one place to the other, and then you just slide down it. And it's, it's a zip line? Zip line, or... yes. Okay. It's sort of like that. This looks a little more like they're sitting down on something. Yeah, yeah, but it's basically it? that's what it is. I mean, that's Yeah, not... it's basically – and they, they go across, and it's, it's interesting because um, – so it's like we got a limited amount of time. <laughs> okay, we got to bring Norman back. But it's like they got to bring Norman back up, like through the building. He's gonna like die. But yeah, back to the back to the thing. And the thing is, the hotel is higher than the diamond exchange, so it involves a lot of pull, pull, That's right. you know, and getting them up there. And so it seems like if you're if you've got this like Mission Impossible timed. That seems like a lot, it a does, lot of time It does, but then it gives Tim, who the computer geek, a chance to have his little adventure because the whole time he's complaining, like, yeah. oh, I'm stuck in this room, and he has this really great equipment and everything, but like, he's like, I want to do this, and I never get to go outside. And, and he's Jeff Beast, yes. so he's totally adorable, and he should be dating and like having a good life, but he's not. So <laughs> I love Jeff Beast, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And so like, um, and so he's Superman. And so like... Yes. Um, the thing is, he gets across that zip line fast. Like, all that time it took them to do their thing, and he's just like, whoop, at the end. Because Lavender tries to pull him back real fast. Done Too late. Done Too late. Tim is yes. ready for his adventure. Yeah, and, and Lavender says something like, you know, Danny, uh, Timmy has decided he wants to experience the NIA or something like that, and he's he's on the way. So, But it's funny because what all they do is lower themselves into this vault take all the diamonds out and put the fake diamonds in. So it's not like they're running across a river of fire or, or fighting a giant spider. They're, they're just <laughs> replacing diamonds with fake diamonds. And it happens very quickly. Um, this is another prank. I, yeah, this, this is, again, this, this is a... This is a this is a multiple person prank because they're not only pranking the diamond exchange people, but they're also sort of pranking Marlos. And that, yeah, and then what happens obviously is they get out of there, everything's fine. And um, do I need to say that uh, Marlos doesn't give the codes to the bad guys, although he's a bad well, guy? Well, are too. you talking about the ending? Yeah, let's um, let's uh, yeah, let's 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 do the ending and then just give our thoughts okay. on the episode. Um, uh, so the the ending is basically yeah, it's the next day. Marlos shows up. Uh, he's got his briefcase and he's got two goons with him. And uh, give me the diamonds. Here are the diamonds. But they like when he when he rubs them on the glass, they just like break into pieces. Yeah, they're not even like cubic zirconium. They're like sugar. 
Yeah, they look more like shirt. Yeah, it's like they they like he presses down, goes dit dit, and they like shatter. He puts one in his coffee. Yeah, he puts one in his coffee. He drinks it. It takes about five ten minutes because he, he gives really one to likes a horse. To <laughs> Sugar cubes, guys. Is that rotor? Is that oh, is that what? Um, uh, so, uh, but um, uh, so so he says, I'm not taking this, and he begins to leave because all the diamonds are this. And the guy from the James Bond film says, you're not leaving. But his guys have, like, guns hidden in their briefcases. And they shoot this one creepy assassin guy who looks a bit like a less dirty version of the um, You Gotta Light guys from the Twin Peaks The Return series. Um, and and he just he gets shot and and basically Marlos makes it out and runs into Lavender and Lavender shows him a million dollars in cash which you know looks kind of fake to me but I guess he's um it, this is we I, I'll ask you about this but he says a million dollars in cash I've got it right here Marlos looks at it and says that's the best deal I've had all day they exchange briefcases drive away it doesn't end up so good for Marlos no this is the part I'm talking about so like at the okay. very very end. He takes the briefcase, and then I think Lavender ta- is talking to somebody, and then they're like, "You're just gonna let him get away." It's something to that effect. I feel like it happens, and then uh-huh. and then Marlos pulls up next to him, and he's like, "You think I was gonna fall for the exploding briefcase thing?" And he drive he gives him he gives Lavender the briefcase, and he drives away, and then <laughs> Lavender says, "No, but I thought you'd fall for the exploding money," and then the car blows up, and everybody's and- dead, and it's like. Well, considering the last episode they were just pranking the shit out of the KGB, they uh, blew the shit out of this guy and his friends in that car. Gone. Gone. It is a, it is a conflagration, folks. Well, it, it isn't like a, it, it's it's like suddenly like the windows all shoot out and it's just like there are three he, people in there. He took a chance, too, because there could be people walking. Like, yes. on the street. Like, he could have killed, like, an entire block. Like, that street could have caught on fire. Do you know what I mean? Like, at the, if there was in front of a house. And it's like, so yeah. he really took a chance. But the last episode, no. That's just... No, no. That's so much virginity in his <laughs> sink. Let's do that. But this guy, yeah. who is not a nice guy, but, like, like uh, okay. I, I mean, I, I'm not understanding when you decide to kill somebody that brutally as compared to like yeah. the Jamie Kennedy experiment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause in the previous one, it was, um, Wolfen's character decides I want asylum. And, and Lavender says, no, because you killed my friend. And he goes, he goes, he has to go with the KGB Wolfen. But this one, it's like, Oh, you killed that courier who didn't seem to be his friend. No. And the guys, and he says the he, guys in the helicopter, like he doesn't even say their name. Yeah. He's like, you know, those guys, yeah. you blew up those guys. Those guys those guys yeah and it's it's weird it's <laughs> this is very if if i may reference another show we we covered on here very green hornet there are several episodes of green hornet where green hornet and kato like blow people up in cars <laughs> and things and you're like what the, there's one in particular where they there's an armored truck like on a racetrack and they shoot like one of their hornet missiles at it and they blow it up and it's like this is an armored truck and you just shot a missile into it, and it's on fire. These guys are burning to death horribly <laughs> in here. And Hornet and Kato walk up to it and go, eh, nothing we can do here, and drive away. And to oh. me, part of that was like, you know, it's like, oh, 1966. That was another time. But this is 1983. Yeah. And this seems a little that rough. That makes me think of Night of the Demon when they uh, are looking for 
it's a Bigfoot, and at the towards the towards yes. the beginning of the film, and there's like this, they're having like an orgy or something, and they make noises to distract the orgy people, and one of them ends up lighting part of the forest on fire, yes. and then they're like, yeah, and then yeah. they're like, there's nothing we can do, and they laughed nothing after they do. set the fucking forest on fire. <laughs> They burnt they burnt the townspeople down they did. in the forest. It's like nothing we can do. Yeah, those those were not the best uh, students. That's why they teacher. got those what they the... got. Crazy Wanda was like, yeah. stay away. Th- those are the ones who like they they go in Crazy Wanda's house. They like break into her bed. They make her relive start... the trauma. Yeah, and they start like pulling open all her drawers, pulling out all her underwear. She goes nuts on them, and they're like, calm down calm down and i think you know it's like and i have said i think i said in the bleeding skull book when i reviewed this you know what if you break into my house and start going through my underwear drawer and making fun of them yeah i'm gonna go ape shit on yeah, you yeah of course okay? you are just, yeah well, anyway the, the, yeah. that's lavender in this episode reminds me of night of the demon yes the night <laughs> of the demon. yeah i mean you see guy, the connection yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That I forget what the the professor's name is. I want to say Brown because I think he wore like brown. Yeah, it was like it was like Tom Selleck light. Yes, exactly. Professor exactly. Tom Selleck light. And um, uh, so I so I guess so we're at the end. So what did you think of this episode? Sort of. In I think Jeff East is a cutie pie. Sure. I'm done. And I'm. I, <laughs> oh, okay. I was gonna say, and it's so it's sort of like um, he's kind of like a Val Kilmer in Real Genius, but no fun. He's he's kind of like well, he's been, but he's he, a realistic version of that, right? Because he's like the, he's yeah, like the I mean, guy who's like probably went to college when he was like fifteen. And yeah, was always really awkward. Yeah, I never really figured out how to pick up chicks and like um and like you know whatever do what his buddies would have been doing at that time because he was locked in a room and they were like you're so brilliant create this, this sensory whatever and he's S- satellites yeah sensory. and he's like oh my god but i want to go out and like and play baseball and like talk to that pretty girl and no 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 we yeah. got to do this and so i think he's actually a pretty interesting character and and so like when he goes to do his own adventure it's kind of cool because he's like oh my god i'm just gonna do it because yeah, when am I going to get another chance to do something for myself that's fun like this and exciting? So, like, like he totally takes the bull by the horns, so to speak, and, like, does it. And I love that. I love that because I think that he's just such a great actor, and he's so fun, and he's adorable, and I've always liked him. And I also really like the guy that played Norman. I've always liked that actor. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of really great faces in this. The only thing that would have made it better is if uh, Mrs. Woodman and Lavender had done it. Oh, wow. Well, I'm saying, that, I'm saying. Look at the way that, yeah, the, when they Yes, meet, he put his arm around her. Together. Yeah, it's very yeah. friendly. She's a widow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I love Eve Arden. And so it's like, I can kind of see that happening, you know? So yeah. I feel like maybe they should have had a romance and that would have been really fun. Yeah, I'd like the last scene. Well, here's the thing is, the, the copy of the episode I have ends about a minute before the end. So the copy That's I have. That's right. Mine is, does too. I think we have the same copy. Yeah. yeah uh, Dick Gautier is marrying a woman he met in Amsterdam. Beforehand. Yeah. talking to them. And my episode. And I always want to say that the final scene would have been Danny and, is it Cassie? Um, uh, I hope that's what it is. Uh, are like going to talk to, Casey, sorry, are going to talk to um, Lavender about something, knock on his uh, a hotel room. No one answers. They're worried. So they open the door and then all of a sudden you just see him in bed with Eve Arden. And they're like, oh! Or you just see their expression. And they're like, oh, we didn't mean to bother you. Oh. I think they're in the back of Eve Arden's van and it says when the van is a rockin', don't come a-knockin'. <laughs> don't come a-knockin' or barkin'. Or, yeah, don't come barkin', man. And so, and they're like, whoa. 
Whoa! And it's just like that scene you don't go into woods. Cherry, cherry. cherry. <laughs> oh, you know, you're the most beautiful oh, thing that ever come into my life. Come out of there, you jerk, it's, you. It's just that it's Dick. Yeah. yeah. Dick. <laughs> I love the way she oh, delivers that line. It's, 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 it's Dick. Dick. Oh, cherry, oh, cherry, you're the most beautiful thing to ever come into my life. Oh, Mrs. Woodman, oh, Mrs. Woman, you're the most beautiful thing to ever come into my life. It's oh, Mr. Lavender. It's Lavender. Lavender. <laughs> That's how I envisioned it. Oh yeah, I could see that. That that would have been a great ending. You just see them in bed, and then it cuts to Danny and, and Casey just like, <gasps> and then freeze frame. Executive producer Glenn A. Larson. <laughs> That's the ending I, America wanted. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, it's a uh, fun episode. I think it's a step up from the last one because I understood it. <laughs> yes, yes. It is it is very more uh, much more straightforward. It's this guy stole this thing, he wants a million in diamonds. We have to sabotage the And it, it's kind of nice too and um another show that does this, although I could take it in a different way is um per, oh my god, I can't even remember the name of it now. It was Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson and they were Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. in crime or something like that. And yes. and they were detectives and they were both the ex-wife of this guy who had died and they took over his detective agency. Yes. And, yes. and what I liked so much yeah. about that was that they, it wasn't about them bitching about, well, Harold liked it this way, or I did this for, you know, they were, they were friends and they had a comrade. It's like Charlie's angels, right? Charlie's angels, they always got along and it was nice to see people getting along and working together. And as, as the years pass, you get a lot of antagonism in like TV shows and movies in particular, like, you know, Sasha characters went from being like really friendly, happy people to like people who all hated each other, but somehow all ended up in the same band together on their way to the mountains. And so like, what I like so much about shows like this is it's like they're all kind of gathered for one goal and they all get along with each other. And so you, there is yeah. conflict, you know, and we will see a little bit of that, but it's not about the conflict. It's about the teamwork. And so like, so I'm thinking of Buffy as like my example. So Morgan Brittany plays like this really highfalutin heiress and she's not horrible. She's rich, you know, she's like, oh, I haven't been on a bus in decades because she doesn't take buses. Right. But she's not putting him down about being in the bus and she's really in it to win it. You know what I mean? She's like, "Okay, what do you want me to do? And she's nervous. They're like, this is just like taking your diamonds to any other dealer to get them appraised or whatever. Don't worry. Um, you will be with someone the whole time. But she's genuinely nervous because she wants to do well. And it's kind of nice to see like. People being yeah. nice to people, you know what I mean, and working yes. together. And so this show, I think in this episode, you see that way more than you do in the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And there, there is something about like um, uh, uh, Morgan Brittany and Greg Evigan's characters. They, you know, they, they, they could have had a bit of romance there. I think but, he's but thinking about Dan, it, right? Does he's thinking if I marry her, yes. I could quit this? Yeah. Circus. Yeah, and I, and I think Casey says something like. Um, uh, uh, yeah, if, if if the moment you went to marry her, her family would disown her immediately. That's probably true. I thought, true. no. That's probably true. No, really? The the Evigan? Yeah, I no. know, but he's, he's a lower class. True. It's true. not going to happen. It's not going to happen for Danny Doyle this time around. He's 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 lower class only money-wise. He's high class in our hearts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. He's reaching for the stars. Yeah. He's reaching for the stars, yeah, though. Yeah, reaching for anyway, the stars. Anyway, she was he's just run him over. She would just run him over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, she'd run him over and he'd shower. And yeah, the end of masquerade it. would reboot. Yeah, the end of it. Um, and and um, I, I, a couple things I just want to mention. Uh, 
Amsterdam has 50 canals and 500 bridges. And I actually have a note here. It's just the word, and it's circled, dikes. They got lots of those. They got lots of dikes in Amsterdam. And um, and there is a scene, uh, I don't know, Glenny Larson and he, we do not agree on our musical tastes because the one problem I have with BJ and the Bear is the music in it. Well, some of the episodes aren't that great. But um, it, it, the overarching, one of the problems I have is the music. And in this one, there is a guy on the plane they're on who does a cover of City of New Orleans. That's right. Which is one of the... Which is one of those songs that when I hear it, I want to immerse myself in water face first or leap off of something. Uh, I find it a very depressing song. I don't know why that is. Maybe it was, I have several songs that I listened to in my youth um, before my dad died that I think may remind yeah. me of him. And I think this may be one of them because every time I hear it, I want to, I want to put my face through something. And but in the best in the funny way in a funny way. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, I think jumping off a building and, and trying to drown is funny. That's hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. I can't stop laughing. But 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 yeah, they cut to the city of New Orleans. Are we gone five hundred miles for the day is gone? Oh my God! Just right to my head. Just ugh. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that song. But that I don't have any thoughts on it. I just there. like seeing piano players on double decker planes. Yes, I guess that at the end of the day, that's pretty awesome. And it just, yeah, that comes like, through um, for me. Like people, uh, like it's like it's a bar just hanging around him. Yes, it's so neat. You're like, this is how to fly. Yes, yeah. And oh, uh, I, got, I guess I got one more note here. It's um, when they're driving through Amsterdam, you get to see. I guess Danny is kind of a dog because at one point, um. Uh, Kirstie Alley's character says, like, um, you know, it's notorious for its, uh, I, I, she doesn't, does she say sex shops? I forget what oh. she says. But you could, oh, you that's could right. see, like, the, re the rear screen projection are all, like, um, porno oh, theaters it's and so sex great. shops and things like the that. The rear screen projection is so good. Oh, it's so good, yeah. It's so it's, fake. And, it's so amazing to look at. Yeah, it's because there's so many great, like, location moments that whenever they're on the bus, they're like, screw it. We're not just, this is all That's what I think, I think this is where they show Octopussy, because I think they're driving around, there's a movie theater. Oh, is it? I'm okay. almost positive that the, that this is the episode. And and it, I don't know if they call them sex shops or the red light district or whatever, but you're right. Everything mm -hmm. is like a, not necessarily a hot spot for tourism, but they mm -hmm. took them there yeah. anyway. Yeah, and, and Danny gets very excited about it and is told to calm down. And, um, yeah, he's driving the bus. To be fair, so I, I get excited don't... about that, too. When I went to San Francisco, we were like, where's the Tenderloin District? And then I yeah. went, and I didn't really go in anywhere, but I did walk it. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably, if I were in Amsterdam, I'd, that that would have to be one of the things I did. And check out all the dikes. Yeah, of course. Of course. What are you there for if you're not to check out the dikes? You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and, and oh, oh. Okay, I'm sorry. This is my last one, and then and then uh, we can. I guess we can wrap it up if you if you don't have. Yeah, I think I'll like Jeff, Jeff East. Call me. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say there is there is one moment where um, uh, there's a car chase. I forget who's involved in the car chase, but someone says um, you know something like Burt Reynolds would be proud. Oh or yes. Like that, or eat your hot up Burt Reynolds. And and we're actually recording this several days after Burt Reynolds passed. So the moment I watched that, I was like, oh, gosh. Okay. Time to watch Cannonball Run 2 and so Sharky's Machine. And Gator. Yeah. Good old Bert. That was Good sad. Bert.
Dan August. Dan yeah, August. you know, I totally didn't even think about Dan August until like the day after, and I thought, oh, I should have done a post on that on my Twitter because I like to do little TV tributes to movie stars because all so many of yeah. them have done TV. Even even Angus Grimm did TV, mm-hmm. and you know, and I would find stills of Angus Grimm and I'd post them and stuff. And so, but I was like, oh, I don't think Burt Reynolds really did TV except Win, Lose, or Draw, right? And so like, or like showing up on or Golden Girls. And so, like, I kind of let it pass. And then, like, the next day I was like, oh, why didn't I think of Dan August? Dan August. I think there wasn't there one more show or something that he did. There probably was. Um, there probably was. I mean, I'm yeah, sure I know sh- he did TV. I just yeah. didn't look. And, I mean, it was, like, it was so shocking. Yeah. Even though he was 82 and he looked a little frail at the end, it's like he's Burt Reynolds. He's not going to die. Yeah, I just see him laughing with Dom DeLuise oh, in a parking lot. The best. Know. The best. Yeah. 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 So yeah, this, this so they mentioned Bert, and this is just um, you know, it's not um, it's not funny. Rest in peace, sir. No. Rest in yeah, peace. Yeah, whatever joke it was supposed to be, it just broke our hearts a little. Yeah. 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 But thanks for ending on uh, such right. a downer. Oh my gosh. Um, I I'm tr- I'm looking at my notes, seeing if I have anything. Anything funny. else? I got downers, nothing. Just funny. downers. Oh, I want to kill it's myself. Down- I played that song, and then Bert Reynolds died. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, oh, no. I'm so upset I, right now. I will. I will say one of my favorite um, when they when they introduce um, Bor- uh, Morgan Brittany. Morgan Brittany. Sorry, I spoonerismed her. Um, uh, when they introduce her and they show pictures of her, one of the things is they say like this: Morgan Brittany, she's an heiress. And then the first, like one of the first images they show is like a, a magazine, like American Woman. And like a big picture of her. I thought, okay, I guess American woman, it's an heiress. She hasn't done anything, but, um, but, but well, to, to be fair, well. to be fair, are we precursoring, um, that lady who's, oh my God, Paris Hilton? Are we, are we, oh, or, yeah. we, we Paris Hilton oh. went on to do other things, but she basically became famous for being an heiress. And just real quick, Borgen would be so great if she was a cyborg. Oh, my <laughs> like, her twin, like her twin, like her twin. Like her twin, uh, oh, and and so like Morgan Brittany would be like, hey everybody, I'm Morgan Brittany, and I was on Dallas, and then Morgan Brittany shows up, and they're like, hey, I'm Morgan uh, Brittany, I was on Houston, <laughs> <laughs> and I did this, and I'm the parallel, I'm your parallel universe. Uh, uh, oh my God, parallel, parallel universe, Morgan Brittany, Morgan Brittany, I'd be there. I want to watch that. that. I want to watch that so bad, like a sitcom, you know, where like Borgen oh. keeps getting into like goofy hijinks, and then Morgan yes. has to go fix it. Bail her out, yeah. Oh, I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think this is where I should say, Amanda, where can we find you online? Well, or uh, in general, where can I'm we hanging find out with Cyborg and Brittany right now. Um, <laughs> so just look for me at MadeForTVMayhem.com, which I don't update enough, but I don't feel like I have anything to announce yet because these come out later and things that would be relevant. To the time when this would air, I can't say anything about. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I'm just going to say I'm on Twitter at Made for TV Mayhem, and we have a podcast, Dan and I, called the Made for TV Mayhem yes. show, which we totally we forgot to mention in the last one. Yes. And so, yeah. like, so like you can find us, and if I do anything that's noteworthy, like, in terms of commentaries that I've done and or, I don't know, if I'm speaking somewhere or something like that, I'll post it on Twitter. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, um... Uh, uh, and I just, I, I just want to leave. I just want to say it one more time. Brorgan Mitney. <laughs> Is that a Brorgan? Borgen. Borgen. Borgen Mitney. The musical. The movie. I watch it. I watch it all. 
I come All in right. peace. I am Morgan <laughs> Brittany. I, I am I'm from TV series I, Houston, and I will terminate I, you. I have been sent from the future <laughs> to save Bobby Ewing. Oh, my God, so good. Oh, my God. It's going to happen. Oh, my gosh, but she doesn't realize that he was already saved because it was a dream. Um, uh, Pamela already saved him through dreams. Oh, I'm so sick of Pamela. I said it. Oh, said it. oh God. Said it. Oh, God. Oh gosh! Well, that's another that's another uh, episode of this, folks. Next time we'll discuss. I prefer that. I Is prefer the Priscilla Presley character's name. I'm totally forgetting. Oh, Jenna, yes, Jenna Wade. I prefer Jenna. Wade. Jen, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. She was great. Yeah. Um. So, folks. Um. I, I don't remember. We're done. We already finished. We'll talk to you later, everyone. We'll talk to you later, everyone. Uh, here's the next segment. Bye bye. Better weird than dead. Episode 9, originally aired November 17th, 1991. Who's Who, directed by Tim Hunter, written by Julia Pohl. Marshall and Simon are at the World of Stuff. Marshall's bike has been stolen. He's given a call to his mom. He's got to go home. His dad wants him to paint the garage door. In the World of Stuff are a couple of kids. I think it's four. It could be three. I never really took too much of a count. Of four, the, three or four of the most unruly brat boys you've ever seen in your life. And they're screaming, they're yelling, and they're throwing all sorts of stuff around. And there's a rather sullen gal uh, sketching away at the soda fountain. And she is their sister. And we learn that they are all named after their father. They don't know their mother. Well, they... You know, they had a mother, but their mother isn't there anymore. They're all named after the dad. Uh, the dad's name is Bob. And so the boys are all like Jim Bob, and there's a Bob Bob, and she's Sarah Bob. And Marshall's trying to sort of cheer her up as best he can. He buys her a new pencil, an eerie number two pencil. And she's sketching away, and he says, well, it's not done unless you sign it. So she signs Sarah Bob to it, and she draws Marshall's bike and adds a flag to it. It didn't have a flag, but she wanted to add a flag. So she signs it Sarah Bob, and Marshall and Simon leave. And they find Marshall's bike right away, and it's got a flag. They're like, huh. And they head on, head on home. Marshall's home. His dad's mad at him for not having painted the garage. A cop arrives, a very familiar-looking cop, arrives at Marshall's door. They found his bike. So now he has two bikes. What the heck is going on? He contacts Simon. They go to visit Sarah Bob, and the place is a sty. These little kids are throwing junk around the whole time. Dad has a beer, gut hanging out of his T-shirt, white T-shirt, just sitting. I think he's watching TV. As far as I know, he might just be sitting staring into space. But it's just absolutely horrible. And they treat her like um, the, a mother. They, she, she cooks for them. She cleans. She does all their laundry. In fact, she lives in the basement. That's where her bed, bedroom is because she's closer to all the, all the washer-dryer kind of stuff. And it's pretty bad. And what ends up happening is um, Marshall and Simon realize that, yeah, this, this pencil, as long as she signs it, brings whatever she draws to life. So Sarah Bob begins to improve her life through a series of sketches. The one tricky thing is that earlier on, 
Sarah Bob met Marshall's mom. And that's what Sarah wants most. Well, to get away from all those jackasses. But she wants her mom. But she doesn't remember what her mom looks like. So she gives her mom, in the sketch, a face. And things things go from there. I'll, st- I'll stop it from there. I think you know where I'm going. And we're going to go into it. So listen to this. And then Amy and I will start chatting. Dan Bob here, everyone. And I'm here with Amy the Conqueror Bob. Amy Bob, how are you? I'm good, Dan Bob. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm ready to bob this one out. Yeah, Dan, what did you think of this one? I like this one quite a bit. I I I, I got to tell you, I absolutely adore Sarah Bob. Yes. I just I just love her. She's she's like, um, she reminded me of like, she she's in the same realm for me as like the um, uh, the uh, um. The gal, the, the 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 younger gal in uh, Neon Maniacs. Um, if you if you see, I imagine you've seen that, Amy. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know the gal, the AV gal. Oh yeah. Neon Maniacs. She's always wearing the cap. She they're they're different, but she sort of has the same sort of nerdy kind of strangeness to her. That if when when Neon Maniacs came out, I was thirteen or fourteen. I w- I was absolutely in love with the gal from Neon Maniacs. She's she's she was just like oh. Uh, now Sarah Bob would have been I would have been too old when this came out. But if if I were that age, she would have been just like oh. She's just she's just there's something about her that I just adore. Um, her family are all terrible. I don't oh, yeah. think I need to say that. Um, but I, I like the episode quite a bit. Um, it's got an interesting sort of timeline to it, which we can talk about later. The, the only thing that, that, that got me slightly was that, um, as with the previous episode, where it takes Marshall a long time to sort of cotton to what, who Trip is, what Trip is, and kind of get on board. In, in this one, um, I guess he's, he's, if he's 13, um, this is going to happen, but there are a few moments sort of near the end where his response to Sarah Bob's dilemma and what she's trying to do aren't quite the responses I expected. But then he is 13. I can I can explain what I mean in a minute. But overall, I really like this episode. It moves very quickly. It almost feels like it was an, like an hour-long episode that they cut down to a half an hour. And I think Sarah Bob is absolutely adorable. And mm-hmm. I think, and I, and I, I, I love. I think the ending of it is so lovely. So um, I think it's an interesting conceit, uh, and I think it's handled well, and I enjoyed it. What, what did you think of it? Oh uh, yeah, I liked it. It just, uh, I'm going to be honest. It made me sad. <laughs> yes, yes. It okay. made me very sad. I, I really okay. liked Sarah Bob, and I mean, her living situation was like heartbreaking. Yes. To me, I mean, as a yeah. girl or yeah, yeah. a woman, but pretending yes. I'm a 13 year old girl, <laughs> yeah. I would be, you know, horrified at the treatment of her. And I'm looking at this from an adult point of view and uh-huh. maybe I shouldn't take it so seriously, but I just felt horrible for, her. I, I yeah. thought it was so sad. Yeah. I mean, I, do, 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 you think, I mean, I thought when they show her awful brothers and then they show her drunk dad in like the, I, I think he's in like a wife beater. Forgive me, yep. but I, th- I think yep. he's in that with like his gut hanging out. Yep. I mean, and, and belching fact- and drinking the beer can and yeah, it, it was kind of nightmarish. <laughs> it was night. It was not only nightmarish, but it was like um, I mean, I know what they're tr- I know what they're trying to do because the episode moves so quickly that they're sketching it in very quickly. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they they walk and he's, I mean, she lives in the laundry room because all she does is take care of them. So she needs yeah. to constantly be doing their laundry. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about it was that there hits a certain point where as an adult, I watch it and I think like, isn't this kind of abuse? Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. That, yes. That was that's my how thoughts. I was. That I think that's, you know, what hit me about it. And, it's, and you know, I liked the episode. I just... I think I took it too seriously, which sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was like abuse, and you know my feminist side comes out like, yes. uh, I just I couldn't tolerate that. Yeah, and it's, it's <laughs> this it's, poor it's, girl. Yeah, and she's so talented. Yes, yeah, and it's it's that was my thought too. Is is that I see what they're doing? They're sketching it in quickly, so because the episodes move so fast, so when Marshall and Simon return, they can see the difference in everything mm-hmm. and they could sort of see like okay she you know that they're they're absolutely horrible but you can't keep them in a fishbowl forever um and yet you can't be here can't you though anymore i don't know Which, oh maybe you could <laughs> maybe you could i don't know i was trying to be sort of no i yeah you're right you're and right they were, i take that you know back. I take that they, they they made these characters way over the top her brothers yes. and her father obviously yeah, yeah. but you know yeah. i i say yeah you could have left him in the yeah, fishbowl yeah. You she could have been all right. <laughs> you you <laughs> know what? I take back everything I said in the last thirty seconds. I was in 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 my mind. I was thinking, okay, I because I, you know what I was doing. I uh, for a second, I was I was thinking the way Marsha was thinking, which is the way that con- thing I said that confused me. Is is that you know he's like, well, you have to let him out. You're right. You are right. You don't have to keep them in the fishbowl. If they ain't drowning, just sprinkle a little, yeah. little food in there. And they're going to be good. Exactly. And, you know, they're not doing anything for anyone. Anyway. (laughs) They're not really, they're not like, you know, pillars of society or anything. Or going to grow up to be. Yeah. So. Okay. No. But then I guess there's the, uh. The fact of well, is it because the mother and wife left them that they're so horrible, or did she leave them because they were so horrible? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's kind of left so vague. The thing with the mom. Yeah. That, um, you, you do wonder. Yeah. No, I see. I think no. You know what? As my mind, and here's the thing: is I I can't rechurn. It's tough to sort of rechurn your entire thoughts about an episode as you're talking out loud about it into a microphone. But I I. I think you're you're right. They could have been left there just because they paint her life as so awful and them as so terrible that why couldn't you? I mean, I, I think if this were like a Tales from the Dark Side, or so, I don't know why I chose Tales from the Dark Side. I don't know. I could have <laughs> chose a thousand. If this were something like that, the episode would have ended with like someone walking back in, seeing everyone being nice to her, and then like, huh, what happened? And then as they were leaving, the closing shot would have been, the family in the fishbowl, and then the episode would have ended. Right. <laughs> but because this is eerie, um, in, in Indiana, and because it's sort of Marshall's story, uh, there's a little bit. But but no, I, I think. Okay, how about this? I, and I know this doesn't fully excuse what I said earlier, and I apologize. But I think, how about if this weren't eerie, Indiana, I would leave them in the fishbowl. But because it is eerie, Indiana, and Marshall is still a kid. And he's like, you can't leave him in the... F- I No, I don't... Even that doesn't work. I don't know. I, you're right, Amy. Because even right, after I, he, she, like, lets them out, and then he's like, you just got to stand up for yourself. She tries, and they they ignore her. Yeah. Yep. yep. And that was even sadder for me. I'm like, yep. nope, nothing's going to change. You know? Yep. She's, she's trying to assert herself and say, I'm not doing this anymore. And mm. they're just like, what? 
and then just go back to their, where's my dinner? Where's this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yes. Yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no. You, no see, For some reason, uh, this, this episode really got to me. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it, but I was like, oh, man, this, this episode is heartbreaking. This poor girl. And I guess because I really liked her in yes. the 20 minutes that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think. I like Ivy too. She's got like when you see her drawing at the house, the first thing she's got like a beret and she's mm-hmm. got like a flannel and a cool vest, yeah. and she just looks cool and nothing else there does. And I, I p- part of me was like, I don't want to say my family were a bunch of one bunch of bobs, but they certainly like, you know, when I was a kid, they certainly didn't support anything I wrote or kind of did like that. Right. So right. and this is this is kind of the super extreme version of that. Um, and yeah, you're, I would, you know what, it is eerie. I almost, as I'm thinking about it now, wouldn't it have been great if the episode ended with uh, Marshall and Simon at the big um, cupboard thing with all their stuff in it, and they put in the fishbowl? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, with, maybe with like a note on it saying, feed them twice a day, or something yep. like that. That, I, that would have worked for me. Okay, all right. No, yeah, yeah, the, you've, yeah, yeah, you've convinced me. I, so, but, <laughs> but but let's um, uh, can I I uh, one of the things I really liked about this episode was the timeline of it, mm-hmm. and that's the fact that I mean, how long does it take place? It takes place over like an afternoon, right? Doesn't it? Yeah. Is it, is it? Because Marshall's supposed to be painting the garage, and mm-hmm. and yeah. it's it's because it literally it goes from um, the, the the you know the the world of stuff. To back to um, the 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 teller's house where where Andy shows up from Twin Peaks for heaven's sake. <laughs> what, did, what, what did you think of that? <laughs> I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he he seems more um, competent here. Yes. He doesn't break into tears or anything. <laughs> oh, I love Andy. Oh, me too. Me too. That, <laughs> in in yeah, in the first episode of Twin Peaks when he starts crying, it's like this is. It's going to be a very different show, different kind of show right yep. here. Yeah. Um, and I like, too, the, the fact that something like Era Indiana, to me, is based off of Twin Peaks. And the fact that they got Andy in it is so, so great. Yeah, that's a nice connection. And it goes from they're at the house, paint the garage, to, oh, my gosh, we have two bikes. Let's talk to, uh, let's talk to Sarah Bob. We meet her family. They head back home. They they help her learn that her new Ear Indiana pencil brings things to life when she signs it. They go back home. She's done the kick-ass Easy Rider montage. Yes, they, I love that. That was that was amazing. That I homage, mean, I loved it. <laughs> just the thought that just the thought that Marshall and Simon leave, and the first thing I don't know if the first thing she does is maybe she. Maybe she sketches her family into the fishbowl first, but I like to think that she, I'd like to think that the first thing she does once they leave and she's like, "Oh my God, those guys have given me a way where I don't have to live like this." She immediately drives them, draws them, like in an Easy Rider motorcycle montage for the garage. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love that, and I th- I think maybe she does because I think the look she gets on her face as they're leaving, to, uh, well. I don't know. I don't know. But um, uh, so, yeah, and, and so they go back. They see the Easy Rider montage. Dad comes out, says, what did you do? 
and where's mom? And like, oh crap. And then they go back and that's more or less the end. And so it literally takes place in the time it takes like two kids to get back and forth to the houses like two or three times. And so I love the fact that Sarah Bob has had this awful life, but because Marshall buys her that pencil, within four hours, she's in Paris with her mom, right. kind of punishing her family. So that, that I like that. It doesn't, yeah, it that, doesn't, was, that was nice. It, yeah, it, it doesn't, you know, um, uh, you know, negate what has happened to her before that. But the fact that this is, is this the, like, this, the episode obviously isn't in real time because we don't see them going back and forth, but this is probably like the fastest time-wise episode that we had, like the most compact time episode, I think. Mm-hmm. I think. I think yeah, so. Like, I, yeah, like if the episode with, uh, with, with Danielle Harris involves people dying and funerals and, and heart transplants, that right. might be the longest one. And this one, yeah, this one literally four hours, maybe, if that. I don't know. I'm guessing. What what else do you have on this one? Let me scan my notes. Hmm. I don't know. I think we covered most of it. Like hmm. I said, this you know it just made me sad, yes. and I was surprised <laughs> yes. at my feelings about this. I'm like, wait, I'm taking this a little too seriously. <laughs> this poor girl. I I feel like she's traumatized, and yes. you know, I just felt horrible. And there there is something about if. Um, and you know this this might actually tie in with the next episode in some fashion that maybe Marshall's arrival in Erie, uh, having brought Trip and Mary together, although they're dead in the previous episode, and you know what getting the pencil for for Sarah Bob in this one, and something we learn in the next episode, maybe Marshall is. Like, this is a town where weird, strange, and sometimes terrible things happen. But maybe Marshall is that, whether he means to be or not, some sort of force that can ignite stuff and get good things to happen. And and I don't know. I don't know. But, but whether he means to or not. Right. But uh, I don't know. I'm going to stick by that being a theory for following episodes and see how that goes. But... Um, uh, let me. I'm just going to scan my notes, see if there's anything else going on. Uh, let's see. Yeah, great to see Andy Marshall. Yeah, there is. Um, I and I think this was because uh, I, I'm going to stick by the fact that this is because Marshall is a kid too. Uh, just that that moment where um, uh, you know Sarah Bob draws the mom meets meets Marshall's mom clearly falls in love with her, and and, and you know what? Can I just say for Marshall's mom is hot. Okay, <laughs> I just, I just, I just say that and leave it there. Um, no, yeah, I can agree. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, because she draws, uh, Sarah Bob draws her mom without a face, and then she puts Marshall's mom's face in there, and then Marshall's mom is there, and you know, and when she's like, you know, the, you know, I'm with my mom now, I'm happy now, and Marshall's response is, but I need my mom, which is a completely honest um thing for 13 year old to say and he's yeah. right he, he does need his mom right but the, but i i almost wish and i don't think it would have happened at this point because he's 13 i almost wish he had had something not tactful but something better to say right there do, do you know it, yeah it, well i mean in this episode he wasn't the most sympathetic yes in my you opinion are. like 
Him and Simon yeah. didn't seem to quite grasp. They they got that it was her living situation was kind of bad, but I don't think they quite grasped the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, could, could it be maybe maybe one they're too young and yeah. Well, no, isn't it isn't it implied though that Simon has some bad times? Yeah, that that's another thing. Like, uh, you know, it seems that Marshall has the best parents in the world, and everybody else awful, is awful living in are... like you know. Tupperware, like, or yeah, <laughs> it's it's horrible for them. You know, yeah. there there's a lot of mean parents. Yeah, it's maybe that yeah, just it, comes from living in Erie, whereas oh, their Marshall's parents are transplants, though they're from Jersey. Okay. So I yeah. don't know. I can't yeah, well, say anything good about Jersey. No offense yeah. to anyone, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it's yeah. Marshall isn't as um sort of cognizant of that how terrible this is he it doesn't i i I hate to say that he kind of like walks in and goes okay well this is your family so you know this is what you have so you got to deal with it kind of thing right you know i I wouldn't want to say he's being like i don't know if that's elitist but something like you know okay well you know you don't you don't sort of live as well you know my dad's a scientist you clearly don't live as well as we do, so you know you you get what you. That's terrible. Why am I saying that about Marshall? I like Marshall. <laughs> this episode gives a lot of the, the a lot of the feelings go out. I think in this episode. And, yeah, I agree. And, and I think, like like I said to Sarah Bob, if if I was thirteen when this episode aired, I would have been absolutely in love with her. She would have been like my crush at at that age. So, and I would have done ah, anything. Yeah. I, I would have leapt into the episode if I could and helped her out. So, so yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think, I, yeah, I think, I think, I think I'm done. I'm just, because I'm going to start rambling now. If I, did you notice that, <laughs> is, is it, is it so, like in, in the living room, there's like a big dunce cap? Did you notice that? No, I didn't. So, some, I think somewhere in in the in the house, there's like a big dunce cap. And the moment I saw that, I thought, I don't even want to know what they do with the, like. I don't even. I suddenly I saw Sarah s- sitting in a corner, like on a stool, facing a corner with like a dunce cap on because she, you know, uh, you know, uh, shrunk Bob Bob's underpants or something like that. So it's yeah i don't wanna <laughs> i i think i'm i think i'm gonna stop i think i'm gonna stop talking about this because um i think it, i think it's an episode worth watching it's definitely an episode worth watching yes and and please please forgive marshall he's still a kid and yeah. um and so but it all's well that ends well i don't know that that's not quite right things end. how about things end well for sarah bob and yeah and I, I, I'd like to think that she sends Marshall sketches over the coming years of of what she's been up to. So that would uh, be great. Yeah. So I I think that's all I have on this. Amy, if you're good, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore conqueror. Amy Bob and Dan Bob together. We wish you the best. <laughs> And we will talk to you soon, Bob. Good evening, and welcome to Man to Man with Dean Lerner. As you can see, the bar is closed. I've sent Satu, my primary partner, home. Because tonight is a sad occasion. My would-be guest this evening, Randolph Kyer, the celebrated British character actor, (laughs) 
who starred in films as diverse as Bitch Killer and, and That Duck 3, Duck in the City, <laughs> sadly died yesterday morning. This show will be a celebration of his life through the eyes of those who knew him best. A kind of this is your death. <laughs> Cheers, Randolph. I'm afraid the following title sequence, under the circumstances, may appear inappropriately jaunty. <laughs> Live from his luxury penthouse apartment in London's glittering East End, Dean Lerner, club owner, entrepreneur and publisher of high-class gentlemen's magazines, invites you to join him for an exclusive man-to-man. -man. very special man to dan with gore blimey we're discussing the life of randolph car hey i'm here with gore blimey hey gore how would you pronounce randolph's last name i i don't know i would pronounce it as kaya because that's what it looks like uh, it looks like a, a welsh word that that's spelt the same way so that's okay, how i would okay. say I'm, I'm sorry i've just got a mouthful of pretzel then i tried to sneak one in quick before you started and then suddenly realized <laughs> you were recording and then i've got this crunchy pretzel in my mouth and so it's that that whole dilemma about do i do i swallow or you know it's that, that whole dilemma <laughs> yes, thing so i've managed to classic. kind of suck it into kind of nothingness so hopefully you you didn't get any of that while you were talking oh no. sorry no 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 uh but but hey we are here with gore and he's eating pretzels and we so we know he's good mm. and mm. and so we are here discussing the november 24th 2006 episode of man to man with dean learners talking about randolph c uh and it is actually a posthumous episode because he has just died right before transmission and uh, the, the way the episode works is it's basically Dean out there by himself. Satu isn't there, which is a little scary considering the way the previous ended, episode ended um, with uh, Dean, you know, hinting that Satu might be killed. But he does say she, she's simply not there. He doesn't say she's been in a horrible accident, which I think would be something he'd normally say. Like Satu mm. isn't here because she had a, she fell out of a plane. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah. I think Satu's probably okay. I think I think they all went and had a bath with the mirror, and everything's all right. Uh, so, this <laughs> oh, this episode traumatized so, from that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so Dean um, uh, is yeah basically doing a tribute to Randolph. Randolph is I, I look look up a picture of him online, folks. Randolph C A E R. Uh, he was uh, he was an actor. He was in a film called. Uh, he was in. The, I think he was in several of the That Duck series, including That Duck Two, Duck on the Run, and That Duck Three, Duck in the City. Uh, he yes. was also in something called. He played a priest in, in a movie that, called That Duck Five. That Duck Five, oh, Duck in the five. Hood. Duck in the Hood, yes. With a Rastafarian uh, duck. Very yes. <laughs> Sorry. And he yeah. was in some. Oh no, he was in something called uh, Pew. What a scorcher. 
where he played a priest and yes. he gets involved in uh, wacky adventures. We'll talk probably talk more about that later. But the film he's known most for is a film called Bitch Killer, which is an early 80s, presumably a video nasty, I would imagine, kind of film made by I would Dean. imagine it would be, yes. Yes. And so, and so basically it, it, the whole thing is Dean... You see random clips from, you see a clip from Bitch Killer, you see a clip from an interview with Randolph, you see some other clips, you see Randolph uh, doing a um, uh, a tale at bedtime, which um, is so sad that you could actually hear the audience kind of going from laughing yeah. hysterically to kind of like groaning sadly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say the tale at bedtime is particularly um, noticeable for those of us of a certain age because they're spoofing a television program that was on called Jack and Ori, where you'd have a, a famous oh, yeah. actor or someone and would sit in a comfy armchair and tell you a story where occasionally pictures would pop up on the screen to illustrate the story. And this is one of those kind of things, except it's probably the most depressing, sad story you've ever heard. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Like we... that. It's, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll talk a bit about Randolph's, but we're not going to, I mean, I think Randolph is one of those characters, the way they paint him is, is, um, I don't know if he's sort of, he, I don't know if I'd call him sort of the richest of the characters here, but just all the background they give, because the 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 thing, and I keep trying to get to this, but I keep going off on tangents. It's funny, it was it the pre... I just did it again. Uh, Dean did this in the... It, was it in the last episode? where, Or was it in the... Was it in the uh, Merriman episode? Where he's talking, and he says something like, well, I think what we're going to do is... Oh, let me interrupt myself. Oh, look, I'm interrupting myself. Yes. And he, he, he catches himself in a tangent. Um... And, yeah, you're going uh, off on your dangents. That's what's yeah, that's exactly. What doing. Uh, so I'm just going to just push through here and then ask you what you thought of the episode, and then we'll actually talk about it. <laughs> but so Dean is out there uh, doing this tribute to Randolph, and the way he does it is not only giving his reminiscences about uh, Randolph, who he knew quite well, and he directed him in Bitch Killer, but he brings in Garth. Um, Steve Pissing does some audio. Glenn Nimrod, is, Glenn Nimrod is on um, is in Hawaii, and he looks much better. He looks like he's doing okay again after being horribly burned. But he's in Hawaii uh, doing a little tribute to him. And then Amir shows up from his uh, shooting a workout video with a bunch of balloons. And so everyone, oddly enough, everyone but Merriman um, does a little... Well, you wouldn't think Merriman would be really involved. Um, um, But uh, everyone everyone does a little tribute, sort of, to Randolph. And they paint a picture that... um, I don't know if it was just the my frame of mind when I first watched it, because I first watched this episode. I watched it twice. I first watched it maybe two or three days ago. And when I got to the end, I was pro- profoundly sad and depressed. Um, but let me ask you, what did you think of it, Gore? I, I liked it because it was quite different. Um, I mean, first of all, mm-hmm. if the, the character, um, he looks a lot like Richard Attenborough does in Ten Rillington Place. Where he plays okay. Christie, he's got that sort of mm. um, bold on top, some hair around the sides, and the glasses. It's sort of that mm. kind of creepy look. And all the way through, everyone talks about how ugly he is. Um, there's a clip where he's being interviewed by by a very uh, a very biased interpreter. Uh, sorry, in- interviewer. Sorry, um, who is played by um, Matt Berry, actually the the voice. Oh wow! And he's 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 asking him questions about his film, and he says. 
it's a horrible film and you're horrible in it and I wish I didn't have to look at you now. And he says, you, yeah. you, you, you look like a flasher or something or you talk like a flasher. It's really, really sad. And, um, and, and even Dean talks about, uh, you know, he refers to his ungodly looks and he talks about yeah. the beatings. He said, the beatings I regret watching and on occasion <laughs> cheering on. So, yes. so this poor bloke has had this horrible, horrible background where he's been playing these really ugly characters and he's constantly being told how ugly he is. Um, it, it, it's very, very... He's the, the most sad out of all the characters in it. It's still mm-hmm. really funny. I mean, you know, I'm not. Yes. it's not like you watch it and it, you're going to be in tears. It, it's sad, but there are lots of funny, funny lines in mm-hmm. it characters and things um but it, it, it's quite it's a really interesting character but just mm-hmm. just like you feel so sorry for him this poor bloke i mean he pops up in some great things i mean you've mentioned a lot of the films that they that they talk about that he's <laughs> yeah. been in he also i love that he's um that he's described as being unemployed divorced and growing uglier by the day they say <laughs> he ends up in a in a tv movie called Bross Roads, which is the story of Bross. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they were big over in the states, were they? Bross, but uh... I, I, they, they look familiar, but I, I didn't quite know what it was. Would you? Would you mind? Right. They were. They were twins um, that that had a, a, a pop band in the late 80s early 90s um they were these two blonde twins and um a a dark-haired one that was in the background that nobody really remembers and they um they were very big for a short period of time and they uh they've they've actually gone on since i think one of them has become quite big in acting and stuff Uh, but anyway Mm -hmm. that's that's bros so this is the story of bros and he plays the father and one of the nice lines in that is the father tells the boys he said you know you owe me everything and then the, the boys turn around and one of them says i owe you nothing nothing at all which is a line from one of their songs <laughs> so um yeah so he has all these he has all these great sort of um things oh and there's there's a, my other favorite line from this is that uh steve pissing appears and gives yeah. um and and he says about him you know about how good he was and that and he says that that uh randolph was on the great racetrack of life no one left a bigger skid mark so <laughs> What more? What more praise could you want? Yes, that? <laughs> yes. And and the 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 way his sort of uh, the the timeline for Randolph sort of goes is we first sort of see him in Bitch Killer, which is uh, and the trailer for Bitch Killer is awesome. I mean, it's a super cheap, early '80s, very video nasty kind of thing. I mean, I was thinking of uh, this is a little more high end, but something like say a Norman J. Warren like Prey or Satan Slave, or more low-end, someone like Michael J. Murphy, who made Invitation to Hell and The Hereafter, and um, The Last Night and Bloodstream. It just has one of those, like, you you watch the trailer and you're like, what world am I in? It's so grimy and and just kind of gross and spot-on perfect. And it's great, too, because, like, when the titles appear on screen, they're just, they're not, like, proper generated titles. They just look like they're written on pieces of paper. That suddenly appear that make it even cheaper. Yes. I, I watched this, and within within about thirty seconds of watching that trailer, I was, I want to see that. I want to yes. see. I really want to see that film. That looks right up my alley. My name is Sidney King. I hate a lot of things: fruits, colours, and above all, women. Goodbye, mother. <laughs> 
just get these terrible headaches. Bitch killer. The dirtiest, nastiest, sexiest film you'll see all year. Coming soon. God, that film makes me horny. I, I, this, and it's got him running story. around with a chainsaw chasing nuns yes. and things. It's, it's, yeah. It looks great. Yes, and the and it's got there's a, there's a perfect sort of eighties trailer moment. Although it's 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 not. I don't think it's it's part of the trailer. At the very end, over the closing credits, there's a sequence where um, he's chasing this guy, one of one of our guys from Gar- Dark Place, I believe, through the woods, and um, yes, yeah, and I, it be- is, and yes. I believe. And 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 as as Randolph runs towards the camera, looking absolutely mad with the chainsaw, and he's just yelling, "You bitch, you bitch!" And he gets right up to the camera, and he yells, "You bitch!" And it like freeze frames halfway through, and it kind of goes like, "You bitch!" And it just is this horrible face <laughs> in, in the filling up the screen, and it's all grainy. It's like, "Oh my god, that is perfect! I want to see that movie <laughs> right now." It's absolutely. like absolutely. Yeah, it was. It's so, and I'd love to know that if it's. Do do they actually say it? it, They're just trying to make it look like something that would be a video nasty. They don't pretend. They don't mention video nasty. Yeah, it looks like it just looks like one of these grainy um, sort of exploitation type. It just looks like one of these grainy grindhouse kind of films, and yeah, it could. It would have been the kind of thing that would have been picked up as a video nasty. I would. I would expect, but um, it would also be one of those things that would be a cult film now. I should think because it's just so grimy and cheap looking and everything um this episode's a nice one as well because it it ends and it's a bit of a um like everyone coming back for a sort of for a final bit yeah. so all the characters that he's played um apart from merriman obviously but all the all the other characters get a look in in this episode but you also get a lot of the actors back in this one as well because we've yeah. got um uh, lydia fox appears again she's actually richard iowardi's wife and mm-hmm. she um, is there in the scene where they're discussing the crab ball. She's the young woman in that. And we've seen her before. She was a receptionist when Glyn Nimrod was trying to, to get a yes. room. And we also, mm-hmm. another one that's come back again, is the, the woman doing the documentary towards the end of the episode is Sally mm-hmm. Hawkins. And she was the she was in Paddington and Paddington 2 recently and The Shape of Water is the main character. Um, she, oh, was in, uh, she was Steve Pissing's wife recently. <laughs> so there's a couple yeah. of the the regulars that are, are back again. So, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's a very it has a very, I, I mean that has a very dark tone to this one because the, some of the themes that come up in it are things like death, depression, loneliness, low self-esteem, yeah. and exploitation and abuse. All those things are sort of strong themes through this one because of this poor guy. And I mean, you know, at the, the very end is sort of like he flips because. He's, his face is being used to promote this crab ball thing, which is basically a, a fundraiser of some sort to do with sexually transmitted diseases or something. Yes. And so they're looking, they're using his face and it says on it, you don't have to sleep with someone like this to get crabs. And that's his face. So, of course, the poor bloke is completely broken when he sees this. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's very, very sad in that respect. But um, it's also, like I said, it, it's hard to... It sounds like it's just so horrible, but it's not. It's sad, but it's it's very cleverly written. It, it's very yes. it's very funny still. You know, it still fits in with the rest of the episodes really well. What did you and think of that side of it? I I I I like the fact that um, you never. I mean, surely there must have been a better clip that they could have picked as an interview if he's been if he made Bitch Killer in the early eighties 
and this is supposed to be, I, I imagine, set in the year it was made, 2006, and he's been making movies since then. Surely there must have been like a, you know, that Duck 3, Duck in the City promotional interview they could have shown. With like him being yes, like, well, how's, exactly. how's it going, Randolph? Oh, we're, we're having a great time on part three. This is going to be better than part two. Instead, they pick out this clip, like you said, that is just, I mean, it's just such a weird, you know who he reminded me of? Randolph reminded me of on the Singing Detective, the Dennis Potter uh, miniseries oh, yes, box set. Yeah. There's, an, there's an interview with Dennis Potter near the end of his life, and he's sitting there, and he he, he doesn't look as grotesque as randolph does but the way that um randolph acts where he's kind of soft-spoken and he's got a like an ashtray and he's constantly knocking out the cigarette ashes and the way he talks and sort of say he reminded me of dennis potter from that interview i'm um, right, now granted right. granted in that interview when dennis potter begins to say something you know the uh the interviewer doesn't say something like why did you write pennies from heaven are you an awful person do you do awful things at night? He doesn't do it. He lets Dennis, you know, actually answer questions as opposed to Randolph, who is yeah. so, who is, he's, he's, I think he's quite charming in the interview because he, I mean, it's still like the interviewer says something like, um, I bet you go around flashing people, right? Look at you. You're a mess. You've soiled yes. your trousers. And it's like, there's no, there's no evidence of any of this. But he's he's like doing no, that and thing he where he suggests a paedophilia and all sorts of things. Yes, it's like the poor bloke's just sitting there. He hasn't said or done anything to suggest this. Let's have a look at what Randolph himself had to say. Post bitch, you're odd looking, aren't you? Uh, yes, I, I yes, I, I suppose I am. And you always play these horrible characters. It's not uh, not really by choice. Um, as I say, that particular film is not one I'm, I'm personally proud of. Well, you oughtn't be. It's horrible. Um, I know. <laughs> and I very much regret making it. But you did make it. There aren't many parts around for someone who looks like me, shall we say. It's a horrible film. I know. You're horrible in it, and I find it horrible looking at you right now. I wish I hadn't made it. Who is the real Randolph Kaya? <laughs> someone who flashes at women who has no hope of wooing. No, I've never done that. But you have been tempted. No. You talk like a flasher. You're bald and unkempt. It looks like you sold your trousers. I'm uh, actually very happily married. But for how long? Randolph Kahn, thank you very much. One of the, the things that I love in the episode is that since Randolph is dead, we only get what Dean picks to show and what the people who respond to Randolph say. And everyone who was brought in... I wonder if Merriman met Randolph once and only had nice things to say. Because everyone who comes in, <laughs> eventually, even Glenn, who is as you know charming in his own way as ever, you know, says, yes, we were doing that Duck 5, Duck in the Hood together, and uh, Randolph mentioned that he didn't like the script, and so I had him fired. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's like you never, yeah, you, you just yeah. kind of wait, you wait to see, and the, I think the worst, I, well, I know they're all, they're all kind of, really bad but but um and again amir's is probably the lightest of it you know like garth in the end just really kind of slags him off and dean you know watches him get beaten and uh and but amir is like he just kind of what he did in his episode he just kind of goes off and says you know i told him you randolph you're not ugly you don't smell like a zoo animal you're very not. and then he suddenly goes off on this tangent where he's saying you do smell like a zoo animal and you are very ugly 
And at the same time that that's yeah, happening, yeah. he he has he has a bunch of balloons, and he's dressed in like a goofy workout outfit. He looks like Richard Simmons, who I mentioned <laughs> in the previous thing. And as they're sort of slagging off Randolph, this poor guy with this ugly picture of him on like the bar, uh, Dean is is like popping the balloons. Like, can I just pop one? Well, hey, and, you know, and 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 Amir is yeah, talking. It's really and, inappropriately. <laughs> yeah, and, and Amir is saying, "I told him he was a good man," and he and then you hear, "Hey." <laughs> Um, yes. yeah, I, I really do like the way they tell it because it's it's one of those great things where we're learning about Randolph through the eyes of these people who, for what for one reason or another, all took advantage of him somehow. And when times oh, yes. he tried to yes. st- try, the times he tried to stick up for himself, um, they they really knocked. Out. I don't know. My Steve's might be the, um, the the sort of darkest of them all is because we've heard that Steve is having trouble having kids and he tells yeah. the story what 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 the, the the timeline sort of goes that they made pew what a scorcher and uh it wasn't working as great as they thought so the producer who it turns out was dean added some uh hardcore scenes into it and which made me think of uh there is a 19 early 70s film i think called so sweet so dead i think it's it's more or less it's a giallo it's italian and it was also known as the slasher right. is the sex the slasher is the sex maniac, and when it came to the U.S., they added hardcore scenes with like Harry Reams, and so if you saw it in the U.S., oh, right. it was a full it was like a full on, it had porn scenes put in, and so like like Farley Granger was the star of it. And I think his response was when he heard about that and saw that he was like, "What the hell movie am I in, right here?" Now he didn't have it as bad as Randolph because it's implied that the, what happened is it's, I, I guess it's implied that Dean put in these hardcore scenes to make one think that it was Randolph and possibly his star, who was a busty gal are having sex. And then immediately after that you hear, and then his wife left him and took the kids. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and then you hear Steve tell this story about how Randolph moved in next door to me and my wife and I, we tried, we kept trying to conceive a child, but Randolph's self-pitying and his crying and weeping during the night got so bad that my <laughs> wife suggested uh, we, we try some kind of mental torture to get him to move. And it's just like you hear that and you go, Steve, yes. what? And it's just, and it's, it's yes. funny because it's Steve, it's Steve blaming his... I don't know, his impotence or his, his inability to conceive a child, he's blaming it on this poor guy who Dean, r- Dean ruined his life by doing this thing. And now they ruin his life again. <laughs> I mean, how many times can your life well, be we, ruined? Yeah, well, we, all, we already know about Steve. It's all been basically heat sealed, hasn't it? Like a Cornish Yes, plastic. it has. It's yeah, kind yeah. Of yeah. <laughs> cooked and crimped around the edge, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know what he's uh, moaning about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, um, yeah, that crab ball thing is, um, there, yeah, this is this great scene where, um, cause yeah, it's this, this faux doc, this documentary about Dean being a great businessman talking about like putting it, what is it like anal swabs and condoms in with the seafood in the gift bag. And they're trying to discuss <laughs> oh. maybe could we, could we separate those out? And it's just, it's just, um, yeah. Dean's so, <laughs> Dean's so gross. And the way he treats Randolph who says, you know, please take my picture off of there. And they just, oh, I own the image. And it's, and it, it's funny, this, this episode, you can, I, like, like when Glenn's head caught on fire and you see his horribly burnt 
of head. Um, you can like the crowd goes like, oh, you know, they're grossed out by it. It's pretty horrific. Um, but it's interesting to hear. It's interesting to hear in this one. Like I said, the crowd, especially during the the tale at bedtime and that scene where he's being Randolph is being dragged out of the club, you can hear like the crowd is like they're laughing, but they're not as sort of happy as they they were. Yeah, and yeah. and it's it's just like you yeah. can you can you it's it's um. Yeah, poor Randolph. He seemed he seemed like a genuinely nice guy, you know, making his decent living. Mm, I, I presume mm. if if that duck f- got up to five, he was probably making a decent paycheck. I would think by time, you know, as the, if they kept calling him back. I feel like there's a lot to say about this, but we we covered a bunch of it. Um, let's see what yeah. else. What else do you have? I on think this it's one? a it's a very it's a very interesting episode because in this one, it the 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 main character the the guest. It is actually it isn't there in the studio, so it's kind of a, a different way of doing it. So we only see the main character, uh, apart from Dean, you know, the, the guests. We only see them in in kind of cuts and, and clips and that sort of thing. So it's quite a good thing because you still get a good idea about about um, about uh, the character and about what's happened to him and about you know all this without him actually being there to to be interviewed. So I quite like mm-hmm. that, but um, it, yeah, it, it's it's still a good episode, and despite how sad it sounds, it's still a good episode. Yeah. It's still very funny, but mm-hmm. um, it's just it's just the darkest probably out of all of them. Yes, you know, it's got the darkest tone to it. I think. Yeah, I, so, I think. Yeah. Cause, oh, because you see, throughout we know that Dean is um, a pretty awful guy, but but oh, in yeah. this one, it's sort of like every, everyone but Merriman. Uh, kind of it's it go near Dean's level when it comes to dealing with this poor guy and it's sort of mm. like Ooh, wow that 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 makes you if if I go back and watch the series now um I wonder if that will um alter my perception mm. and mm, and I, I do and I, I just I just went back in my mind and I just saw Garth and when Garth is talking about writing bitch killer he said well at that time I never met a woman I, and he said something like, I've yes. met a few of them now. They're quite nice or something like that. They're okay. I, I forget how he describes it. But, uh, let's see. Um, so we, uh, we've, we've come through, we've come through um, all of the episodes now. Um, yes. So, I mean, this is, it's, a, it's got a lot of similarities with Garth Moringa's Dark Place because obviously same people involved and so on. So there's a lot of very similar humour in it. And, and the stuff I think they do best is when they're, they're setting up um, kind of a, a spoof or a, a pastiche of of old filming styles and fashions and things. I think they do that really, really well in both of them. And you can, as I said, you can see there's a similar kind of sense of humour in it as well as the the acting and, and stuff. But um, what what did you feel overall? I mean, the six episodes because there weren't any more made really. It was just the six episodes. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the series as a whole? Uh, you know, here, here's, it's, it, I, I will say this, um, as we're at the end right now, and I absolutely adore Dark Place, and I, I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed this one. I, you know, I, I figured I probably would, but, but just the fact that I've, I've owned it, I think I mentioned early on in like the, maybe the first episode discussion that I've had this, this disc for maybe a year, and I didn't start watching it apart from the first episode until we started talking about it. So it just kind of sat on my shelf, and if I was in the mood for that, I'd watch some Dark Place instead. But now having got through uh, Man to Man with Dean Lerner, I love 
I mean, the accumulation of crazy facts about Dean over these six episodes and the episodes of Dark Place make him one of the sleaziest, craziest characters. <laughs> like, it, he's just so fantastic, and he's so yeah. funny, and... Um, I just love that. I love all of Matthew Holness's characters. I think all of them, in in one respect or another, have something in them that I absolutely love, and they're very funny. Well, Randolph isn't very funny, um, but he's not meant to be. And uh, I, no. I, I wonder, I, I wonder too, if if with something like Randolph, the way that this tribute becomes such a smear on his character, I wonder if there's a reason why they're doing that. You know, some sort of ulterior motive. Like we're going to find out that Randolph had this on us or you know or knew about this or something so let's let's present him as being this horrible person and then people will take away that and then maybe if like in a year suddenly he published his autobiography it was written before he died and it has all this bad stuff in it about us well you remember that episode we did you know he's soiled trousers and he flashes himself to the kids you know you remember all that i'm wondering if that's a reason why <laughs> they do this but yeah i I really enjoy the show, and actually, um, since I've started watching it, I've actually put this on more than I have Dark Place. I Because th- um, I love Dark Place, but Dark Place is sort of a very specific thing for its six episodes, whereas this is a little more wide-ranging yes. in what it gets up to. And and I will I will yes. say that yes. I, I will say that I've had a, mm. I've had a couple of b- bad months over here. Oh, I've got it on my screen right now, and there's Randolph crying in the corner with Dean yelling at him, throwing money at him. Ugh. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a heartbreaker. Yeah, um, uh, so sad. But, <laughs> and there's this big face with you don't have to sleep with someone like this to get crabs or whatever it is it says um Ooh. but yeah um and it's funny if you if you have the dvd like there's an i i didn't know what randolph looked like well you see him on the menu but he's not like you're like okay he's just another weird looking character in that painting that main painting of dean with all the characters around him uh but one of the um extras are somewhere in there maybe it's under dean's name if you click on dean's name on the extras if you click on it you'll see that image come up you don't have to sleep with someone like this to get crabs and so you look at i just started laughing i was like who the hell is that um but i like i i I think the thing um i adore dark place and the thing with dark place is that especially on the dvd uh you can watch it twice you watch it once, the actual episode, then you watch it with that kick-ass commentary where they're just getting on each yes. other's nerves and talking about how Dean has blood in his urine and and uh, and Sanchez is yelling. Well, his, his name isn't Sanchez. is yelling at people on the phone and and Garth is getting angry at them for not taking it seriously. But but yeah, man to man, I just I just really, I, I think it's quite wonderful. I think it's very funny. Each episode is perfectly put together. I'm I'm glad they're only the six because they make a nice they make a nice arc and the characters are fantastic. And the kind of like I said, kind of a, I've had a bad couple of months, but over the past week or two, whenever I'm feeling down, I pop in the extras disc and I watch in the full eight minute clip of um, Glenn at that convention. And I that just that that just brings me so much yeah. joy seeing him at that convention. I just adore <laughs> that scene, and I, I can't recommend the, the DVD set highly enough because, like, I, I looked it up, yes. and Glenn the Glenn, Glenn's uh, the convention sequence in the um, which I put uh, on on the Glenn episode. I put like about a minute and a half of it at the very end of the episode. Um, the Glenn segment, that convention segment, is about three and a half minutes. 
there's about an extra four minutes in the extras, and it's all great. You get to hear him on stage, like, answering questions, you know, like things. And I told DeMontford that Bot would never do that. If he were filing, He and it becomes just this thing where it, it seems like he's going to stand up for <laughs> to Mr. Graney there, but it's just some dumb thing about, like, oh, on the script they said Bot would file like this, but he would never file like that. That's not in his programming or something like that. And so... Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed uh, this show, and I, I I thank you so much for 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 uh, talking about it with me. This this has been a this has been a lot of fun. Oh, for me too. It's it's really nice to go back and and watch this again because I saw it so long ago when it first came out, and I've sort of haven't really thought about it since. I mean, like you, we I I think a lot about Garth Marenga's Dark Place because that just really struck a chord with me, and I, yes. I really enjoyed that. I got it straight away. I loved it. And um, and it still makes me laugh, however many yes. times I watch it, and um, and and I think as I said right back at the beginning, I think that kind of spoiled me for this one because I had such such a lot of love for Dark Place when this came out, and it it was for the same people. I thought it's going to be a continuation of the same kind of thing, and it was a different kind of structure. I was disappointed, and that kind of um, put me off slightly at the time. But watching it now and seeing it as something, its own thing, mm-hmm. I think it's really good. I think I really, um, I really under underestimated it. I think it's very clever. It's very much like a showcase for Matthew Holness and his mm-hmm. ability to do characters and really, really sort of. Um, <clears throat> live in those characters and be convincing in them and yeah. all his other talents with playing music and stuff and also it's really lovely to see Richard Ayoade be able to um, expand on his character as well Dean yes. you know to to actually show us all of Dean because beforehand we we didn't get much of a a look at Dean's character other than he was like not very good at acting and stuff so <laughs> it gives us this sort of darker side to him and and the sort of playboy side to him and all that stuff. So it really allows that to, to breathe more. So, But I, I think it's it's really, it's it's very funny. The script is really, like with Dark Place, it's very well written, very funny. Um, the, the performances are, are really well observed and uh, mm-hmm. and all the details amazing. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, if, you, if anyone was feeling a bit like, oh, not so keen on this as Dark Place, I'd say watch it again. And the mm. DVD set you've mentioned is a really good one. It's the kind of thing that turns up for pennies on eBay yes. and um, and places like that. It it has um, an extra disc with all the extras, and they're worth looking through as well. I mean, you don't get the commentaries you had with Dark Place, but there are some really good extras in there as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's it's a big recommend from me. It's It's been really good fun going through it again, watching it again, and, and being able to chat about it. So thank yeah. you for asking me. Of course. And I, I think I, I just wanted to um, mention a couple of the extras real quick. And and I don't know if this could be just a glitch on my disc, but there's a weird thing that happens on my extras disc. So you go, so you, you get that main image when you look up Man to Man with Dean Lerner. There's like a, a, a painting of Dean sitting on the chair, and he's surrounded by all six of the characters, uh, uh, Matthew Holness's characters, and set to. And what you do is you just click through the there. There's no words or anything until you start on the on that image until you start clicking on it, and then it, you know Dean and Glenn and da 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 and Garth, and then you click on them, and each one of them has their own extras. And some of the some of the the trailers or the um, the commercials, the coming soon things are hilarious. 
And you know, it's just like, mm. Um, mm. like there's an there's an Amir one where it cuts to Dean and he says something like, um, "Next time on Man to Man with Dean Lerner, I'm talking to this man, Amir." And it cuts to Amir sitting there, and then there's a pause. You don't know who he is yet, and then it cuts back to Dean. Please don't judge the show by this commercial. And it's it's really great. And, you know, a lot of stuff like um, this evening, unless you're not watching it this evening, that you know, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah, there are a lot of great. Extra- oh, and, and the, the weirdest extra is uh, one of the I forget which one of the names it's under, but you see the color bars and you, know, you click on them and the color bars come up. And oh uh, yes, but, yes, but, yes. But this this color bars, however, when you when you check the the display, you check the length of the color bars, which normally go for thirty seconds or a minute. It's seventeen minutes long, and I thought, oh, there might be something on here. And after about twenty seconds of color bars, you get a brief uh, image. I don't know if it's actually from um, what what is Steve Pissing's? It's pissing in the wind. What, what I forget what his video is um, called. Oh yes, so but, yes, yeah, and and so it cuts to a brief image from that, and I don't know if it's the actual video itself or just like footage from it or something, and you get a brief shot of like him in the racetrack, and then all of a sudden it cuts to a field with a camel in it, and you start to hear Steve talking. My name is Steve, and this is one of my videos of me camel spotting, <laughs> and it's literally fifteen minutes of just like images of camels, like in a field. And just every once in a while, Steve will come in and say, you know, I love camels. And I just sat there going, this, it's, it's like the best kind of anti-humor because it's, it's a boring guy shooting images of camels. And every once in a while, just, and like at the very end, he says something like, if you ever eat a camel, just remember they're very chewy very chewy. And then it ends. And it's, 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 it's one of those great, like, those bits that you know would never have sort of appeared in the episode itself but when you find it's just like that's so wonderfully weird uh there's that bit there's that bit glenn yeah glenn has the great um segment uh the convention i believe you get to see the bitch killer trailer again over on randolph's uh thing and it's just yeah there's there's so many fun oh and on on merriman you get a scene backstage with merriman where um, that's right where, yes where you get the, those two guys from dark place and they get i think the most to do that they've they've done ever oh, they're the, I th- the I, morris men yes the, yes the more like the morris <laughs> dancers morris men yes would you do you know yes, would you morris explain men. to people would you explain to people what morris men are oh, no. <laughs> if you if it's you know if you know you can yeah, it's, I suppose it's a very, I don't know, very Englishy thing. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they dress up in all like white and with lots of bells and ribbons attached to them. And they do this kind of strange dancing in a, like, in a little group. And they have a, mm. a pig's bladder on a stick, which is basically a, a, a white balloon on a stick, which they kind of bonk on each other's heads. And then in some regions, they have a hobby horse as well, which is featured in this. It's a regional thing. Different, different places have their different regions. And when I grew up, they used to have them <laughs> near me. It's a very odd, old-fashioned kind of custom. But, yeah, they're Morris men. They're people like, <laughs> you, you know, especially bank managers and state agents yeah. and things, dressed up in mm. these ridiculous white outfits with bells and ribbons and stuff dancing to sort of folk music so it's <laughs> very 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 english <laughs> and the, and there's a great bit where um i i guess uh, uh, uh merriman has had some kind of uh, feud with them or something and when he actually sees the two of them i, I forget if it's 
and he and he's and Garth. Uh, I'm sorry, Dean has told Merriman that one of them, like a guy named one Stu, has cancer or something. I forget That's exactly right. how it yes. goes. Yes. But um, and but but Stu doesn't know yet. And so the first thing you know, Merriman says, "Stu, I'm so sorry you have cancer." What? I have cancer. What are you talking about? Yes. No, no, he he wasn't talking to you. He was talking to someone else in the room. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to someone else in the room. And Stu turns around and goes, "Who in this room has cancer?" And, which which is pretty great. Um, <laughs> and, and I think I think I I know I know Morris dancers. I think in the uh, Doctor Who serial, The Green Death, the one from 1973 with John Pertwee. Uh, and the giant maggots. Oh yes, yes. That oh no, no. I'm sorry. Familiar. Not the green. Not, yes. not the green death. I'm sorry. I've, I've given you the wrong one. With I'm, I meant uh, the demons. I apologize. Not the green death. I always like to talk about giant. Oh, the maggots. demons. No, yes, with the, the demons. Yeah, no. I'm with, thinking there is a John Pertwee one where I'm sure they are in it, and it might be the demons. Yes, that's the one with I the churchyard, isn't it? And yes, and, yes. And yes. and you have the sequence where like the doctor is going through like the churchyard trying to get somewhere, and then all of a sudden all these guys start dancing in a very silly way, and then end up tying him to like a maypole to burn him <laughs> yes that's it the demons yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. like about right yes <laughs> i think i think that's good so yeah and so so i recommend the 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 the, the like the garth Marenghi dark place dvd it's an all-around dean vd pack is it dean vd or dean oh v, yes dvd i forgot dean, I v, it's dean, v, dean or dean vd yeah <laughs> yes the dean vd actually probably sounds right that sounds very right yes <laughs> <laughs> dean vd <laughs> And and so it's and it's got a great booklet where um, there's lots of discussions from the guests and from Dean about what makes a man and what is man to man, and yes, yeah, the extras are great and the show is is a lot of fun. So that I guess if that do you have anything else on Man to Man with Dean Lerner, Gore? No, I think that's it really. Apart from it's just been really good fun going back through it again and and exploring yeah, yeah, yeah. it again. All right, and. Um, I guess uh, if if that's the end of our discussion and another show we've completed another show on Adventure Super Train hooray Yay! that's like uh, it's like eight eight or nine or ten now I, I forget how many but we're we're going pretty good uh, so Gore one last time we're com- well not not what in, in uh, one last time right here not like this isn't going to be the last time you ever said that wasn't like a threat one last time <laughs> I sound like Dean I sound like- <laughs> and then he stepped in front of a bus I've been sacked uh, <laughs> so, so uh, Gore where can we find you online I'm. Um, you can find the Trilogy of Terror podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or if you look on your podcatcher, you'll find it there. Um, you can also find it on the website and other links to other social media, which is trilogyofterrorpodcast.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at IamGoreBlimey, all one word. And thank you once again. I, I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And I guess what, what we'll do is... Um, I guess we'll sign out. Why not? Let's hear the theme one more time, everybody. And oh, um, uh, ooh, on the, there is an extra just like on the Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I forget. If, I don't think you have to hunt for it. They have that EP that has um one one. What's what's his song? What's Sanchez's? I'm a one track one track lover. Is that it? What <laughs> you you know the one? Something oh, like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and on the DVD there is a segment you can go on that is basically the sort of EP that has um, that song in its extended version and like three or four musical tracks from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. On the uh, Man to Man, there I think it's under the Dean. Um, segment you can actually listen to the soundtrack it's about 31 minutes long and it's the soundtrack to man to man with dean lerner which is cool 
and does have the full version of Galacticops bringing justice to <laughs> the galaxy. Um, but having said that, um, thanks for listening, everyone. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna send you out one more time with the man to man with Dean Lerner theme. Talk to you soon, everyone. Live from his luxury penthouse apartment in London's glittering East End, Dean Lerner, club owner, entrepreneur, and publisher of high-class gentlemen's magazines, invites you to join him for an exclusive man-to-man. Goodbye, Goran Dean. You will be missed. I love the show. I thought I had a really great time watching Man Man with Dean Leonard and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place last year and chatting about them with Gore. Ah, so that was episode 70, everybody. Eventually, supertrain.blogspot.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Reve- revenge. Revenge is sweet. Reviews and ratings kind of became revenge. I'm just going to call it from now on. Revenge is much appreciated. Addy Supertrain1 on Twitter, eventually Supertrain on Facebook. I forget what the email address is. I've just been using my own Danny Slacks, D-A-N-N-Y-S-L-A-C-K-S at Yahoo.com. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And because for some reason, I could have sworn, I I tried to schedule three sound bites in each uh, segment of Dean Lerner, and I could have sworn, I could have sworn, and if, if, if you heard it and I missed it for some reason, and I'm an idiot... I could have sworn I made a place for the sound bite I'm about to play for you right now. It is Dean talking to Glenn. Glenn is in a hospital, I believe in Hawaii. And um, it's a very funny scene, and it's how we will say goodbye to this episode. And Man to Man with Dean Lerner. And Gore, but Gore might be back. Who knows? All right, everyone, be good to yourselves and enjoy this. Can you hear me? Glenn Nimron. Hello, Dean. Yes, I can hear you. And uh, I've just heard the tragic news, and can I say sincerely how sad I am. He was like a flame in the night, burning brightly, and there aren't too many flames like that left. What were your memories of... I have many memories of... (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. What were your memories of... I have many memories of... Sorry. Sorry, I I think there's a time delay. I think there's a time delay here. Yeah, I know that. That's what I just said. You probably figured that out... Yes. Can, can you just wait until I'll you hear my next I question? Hear... Sorry, Dean, I didn't catch that. Wait until you hear my next question. Sure, okay. What were your memories of Randolph? Yes, I have many wonderful memories of Randolph. What are they? Well, the last time I worked with him was on a very, very funny comedy film called That Duck Five Duck in the Hood. Um, was that the one with the Rastafarian duck? He was a funny duck. Quack, quack, yemon, paddling about. Oh, he was good. Yes, 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 that was the one. But you know what, Dean? Randolph did not like the script. Right. So I'm afraid to say on that particular project, I had him fired. All right, well, we'll call it a day there, Glenn. Call Next it a day. We... Yeah. Call it a day. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. Glenn Nimron there. <laughs>